0: tired.
1: So tired. Overtired. Hey, welcome to Overtired. Uh, Christina is gone this week, but she will magically be back thanks to multiple technological miracles um, for an ad read of Notion, who is this week's sponsor, so stay tuned for that. Um, I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm here with Jess Severance-Gunsel,
2: and uh, I, think, I think we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. You just it, it's, you just reminded me of the so Minnesota Public Radio obviously our public radio station here. Um, there's just a lot of good people that either left or were laid off over the last few years, and some of them they keep their voices on the spots, and and they're people who like it, it, leaving was hard or was painful or was unfair or anything right, and then they still come on on the radio being like you know, well you're listening to Minnesota Public Radio, <laughs> you know it's just like wow. Anyway, but Christina is is definitely coming back. She wasn't laid off. Nope, she was not. Um, man, you'd lose a lot of income getting laid off from overtired. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hi
1: Brett. Will you lose that sweet, sweet notion money? I know, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, let's uh, let's just kick it out right off with a mental health corner, um, if you would like. I will start. Yeah, do it. Um, so the holidays have proven to be. I never realized how stressful. Holidays were on me, um, and looking back, um, it's i I dread uh, hanging out with my family. It triggers me in all kinds of ways, um, but I have always just accepted it as kind of a a price of existing um, and <laughs> literally. literally. <laughs> with my last two partners, um, they have hated my family enough understandably that if I chose to hang out with my family, I felt like I was disappointing them. Mm. And if I chose to skip family gatherings, I felt like I was disappointing my family. So I get faced with this no-win situation, no matter what I choose. And I have this huge fear of disappointing people. Like it has a huge, a dramatic effect on my um my well-being even on my physical health uh i mm. i can't stand to have people feel like they're disappointed in me mm. um or even or even for me to feel like they're disappointed in me even if they're not yeah um and right cuz sometimes
2: we decide that that's true right. and it's not true yeah yeah totally i i experience that
1: well it, and this like with my parents i project all of the beliefs of the church onto them Even, and I don't know that they hold these beliefs. I just, I have amalgamated all of the things I learned in my childhood and, and put it on my parents. And, Mm. and like, I react to anything they say with that lens of, okay, you believe everything this fucked up church has ever told you. Mm. And maybe they don't, but they, they also continue to support that church. Um, that has had a horrible impact on many kids my age. Mm. Um, not that I'm a kid now, but like I talked to you.
2: I, the kid is in you.
1: <laughs> I, I moved I moved back to the town where I went to that church and I have become friends with multiple ex, ex Pleasant Valley kids, kids who went through that youth group, kids who went through that church. And we all carry our own version of religious trauma um and by and large, like a lot of the a lot of the people I know who survived it um are queer, and like the damage that that church did to queer people is it's- it's unforgivable yeah. Um, like, nobody can call themselves Christian and damage kids in that way. Um, so all of that is on my mind when I hang out with my parents. Um, my siblings are less problematic in that way. But, um, but I, do, I do hold my parents accountable for a lot of that trauma, not just to me, but to my peers. Um, and, man, like, so this comes up in therapy, uh, in couples therapy and uh and I get because when I imagine or when I try to understand how I will feel about something in the future I project myself into that situation and and I imagine all of the feelings from it yeah and, and doing so will give me immediate stomach problems um like I think three days after my last couple's counseling, not the last one, the one before I was sick and like, it takes a physical toll on me. And honestly, I never, I never put together that the holidays did this to me. Oh yeah. I never understood exactly how stressful, exactly how much of a no win situation the holidays were for me. So that's been,
2: And does that, when you say the holidays, does it start with Thanksgiving for you? Because that's the first, right? That's the first gathering. Yeah. My
1: my whole family got together in Ohio and I was invited and I declined. Um, So that was forgivable. Uh, Missing Christmas would be less forgivable, Uh, but missing Thanksgiving, like I got text messages from the family saying, Hey, we're having a great time. Hope you're well, like nothing judgmental or or ill-intentioned yeah um so that actually went okay um i didn't come out of that feeling a lot of guilt um christmas is going to be a we don't have full family plans for christmas like no one's traveling it would just be my parents are in town where i live um, So I need to see them to feel like I have fulfilled familial obligations. Um, so what we're going to do is prior to Christmas, we're going to go out for pizza and um, at a place where I can have a whiskey sour and <laughs> and comfort myself. Um, and my mom will be on good behavior because we're in a public place to some extent. <laughs> have you have you ever had someone close to you that loves sending back stuff back to the kitchen?
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've definitely had this experience. Yes, yeah, yes. Or my- or worse, the person who's like, you know, you really should send that back, and you can't just like get them off that horse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so my mom is my mom is the lady who will always. If anything is wrong, send it back to the kitchen and make a big deal about it to the waitstaff. And then, like, doc waitstaff's tip because Uh, the kitchen mess. You never fuck
2: up with the tip. Never fuck with the tip.
1: Dude, I tipped 30% last night because we had a a server that was just... It was a quiet night at the grill, and uh, she was just so attentive and would, like... Sit and talk to L about like yarnology stuff, like knitting, and uh, she was just fantastic. So I left a left a thirty percent tip on a ninety dollar tab. It was <laughs> it was, but my mom would never do that. Um, and going out to eat with my mom is always a little bit stressful, but not as stressful as dealing with her in her own home. I I can't. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yep.
2: Yep. Yep. You, it's a little safer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i um, i'm not gonna just free associate on restaurant uh, uh <laughs> ethics but i have a lot of thoughts as you talk but that's not what this is about <laughs> i uh
1: well i'm done if you have something to say about restaurant ethics i'm open well i was to
2: it. I, so a couple things like <laughs> one is i will never um i will never uh not tip at least the the, the you know the base fair amount um and, and part of that is and i've had plenty of shitty surfers right but it's like maybe you're shitty because You have to deal with people all day and people are horrible and I don't know, maybe I'm horrible and I don't even know it. Like maybe I've done something in this interaction that is like, God, I hate it when the, you know, like, yeah, you should also be tipped for having to do this job when it's miserable for you. Like,
1: so in Europe, tipping is unusual. Um, Tipping is if something is just fucking fantastic and, and you need to note it, but as a general rule, like this idea of a 20% tip is it's non-existent, Mm -hmm. but they also pay their servers a living wage. Right, right. (laughs) We get away with paying servers less than minimum wage.
2: Revolutionary. (laughs) Uh, Okay, and then one other follow-up that you maybe think of is um, (laughs) about being good Christians. So I was raised Catholic um, and Lutheran at the same time, divorced parents. And uh, I remember with my stepdad, we were leaving church one day. It was the Catholic church. And everyone was just being a little rude and inconsiderate in the parking lot. He got upset. And I I think he was only half kidding. He's like, these are not people who are being good Christians. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought of that. So the other night, our family went to this Gaza Solidarity event um and uh at at the at the heights theater here it was a it was a international day of solidarity with the palestinian people and that what was happening is in theaters all around the world people were reading something called the gaza monologues which are the um, monologues that
1: happened here and okay so these
2: kids from the gaza war in 2010 which feels a lot like the one now um it it was really beautiful but (laughs) this theater they have a church behind uh the theater and there's a parking lot there And at night when movies are happening, there's no, the church has no use for that thing, but the church is so vindictive about towing people that if you go to this theater's website, the first thing you see in all bold, almost like an old angel fire site where it's like be (laughs) blinking. is like, do not park in the church. So here was the thing. Not only does this church tow you, uh, from an empty parking lot, if you choose to use it for the movie theater, the little independent arts movie theater, but they, this is in Minneapolis and they contract with a St. Paul uh, uh, towing company. So you have to go to St. Oh, Paul no. and then you have to pay apparently an, an unusually high amount. And I was like, that is some fucked up Christian behavior. That is not <laughs> Christian behavior. I don't the, the, whatever, if you're like a textualist, there's nothing about parking lots in the Bible, old Testament or new, but I feel like you can infer that you should find a way to just allow people to park or at least make a mistake. Right.
1: (laughs) We, uh, there was a night in Minneapolis. Uh, we were at our practice space and our drummer, Clay's car got towed and we walked. It was in Minneapolis. It was near the Walker. There's like an impound lot. Oh, I know this lot. My car has been in this lot. Yeah. And, (laughs) and we climbed the fence (laughs) <laughs> with a coat over the razor wire and then drove his car through the fence yes. and just kept going
2: Fantastic! And as far
1: as I know to the best of my knowledge there was never
2: any repercussion from this that's like in uh, Breaking Bad when they when they liberate the <laughs> RV <laughs> that's great I think that that's perfectly fair and just fair play yeah not all laws are meant to be followed Um <laughs> What did this the John Lewis thing that's good trouble right there it's good trouble <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I guess for me uh, in terms of like mental health stuff it's it it's something that has been on my mind a lot is not exactly about me um, so I I'm doing this work I'm with a new client in there it's like this really amazing uh, organization in Minnesota called foster advocates and they they do work to sort of promote the the rights and, and needs and agency of foster kids. And and in most States, definitely in the state where we have 87 counties and we have also tribal governments um, you know, foster care is, is managed a little differently in all, all of these places. Right. And so there's, there are state guidelines and there are state rules, but like not only if you were a foster kid, like, and if there's anyone out there, I don't mean to speak for you. I'm kind of sharing what I've, picked up over my lifetime is that not only are you in an incredibly precarious and ungoverned position by even just being in a foster home right but you are in a precarious and and you know there's regulations for this system but it is it feels very ungoverned in many ways system right and um so part of what i do and what i'm doing with this organization is like they've done all these um Group interviews with fosters in all the different counties, basically, in Minnesota, and um, and they're really amazing conversations. And also, this organization—I mean, uh, uh, I think a majority, definitely a majority of the staff running this organization are ex-fosters, which is really cool. Um, and uh, and so I'm working with the transcripts of all of these focus group sessions focus groups used loosely in the qualitative sense, not in the, you know, we're trying to make sure that this, this Hollywood Marvel movie appeals to China kind of way, not like that, but like um, not to pick on the Chinese, but I've come to learn that that's really (laughs) becoming a problem for the quality of these movies. Um, But anyway, um, so I've been working with these um, interviews and, and part of what I do, I use special software and stuff. And I, and I go through looking for patterns or whatever ways of sort of like, um, Sort of representing the experience in a way that can be turned into something, turned into advocacy work. Is that that right? Max
1: Max QDA? Yeah, Max Word. QDA. It's called. Yeah. It's an
2: amazing. So I wish I knew about it when I was a, a journalist. It's just an amazing way to to look at a lot of text and and search across it, and you code it, and you can do just. It's amazing. It's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um. Anyway. What, so what will happen when i have when I work with a client like this is they might you know have a bunch of interview data or I might do the interviews, and then they'll say, "Can you look at these interviews these maybe it's twelve maybe it's fifty maybe it's a hundred interview transcripts and and can you look at it for for this theme so it might be like uh you know um you might be looking for a theme of of harm versus hurt like what are qualities of of harm in the system as they're described, and what are qualities of hurt so no one's necessarily saying it explicitly, but you're sort of drawing it out right." And in this case, I'm helping them, among many other things, I'm helping them look at um, over medication, over prescription, forced prescription, forced, you know, medication. And not only that, but like denial of medication, you know, the whole thing. It's like, what's in there? What are people talking about? And the thing that has just been haunting me all all week, because I spent a day on this early last week, um, that I hadn't really thought about, it's like, So my own experience being diagnosed bipolar two years ago and then going through really a hell in trying to find the right medications, like I was over medicated for it at first and I sort of, I consented to that. The manic episode that led me to diagnosis was scary enough to me that I was like, yeah, hit me with the stuff, you know? Yeah. And we talked about this on past episodes, but like the work it takes to witness yourself when you are essentially you know, i remember my medication provider said look i'm just going to say it straight it's always an experiment it's always an experiment we don't know what's going to work if it fails we don't know how it's going to fail and 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 i i don't know about your experience of bipolar but like because because like after you know a lifetime of having manic episodes now i recognize that we're not nearly this sort of impactful when I had one that was that impactful, what happened to me is I, and this was the hardest part, is I, um, I I, I realized maybe I can't trust myself. Maybe I can't trust what I'm thinking or or what I'm feeling because you have that experience of sort of grandiosity and you have that experience. And, and for me, I don't know if this is true for you. I know this is a symptom of bipolar and like mania is like, I can be so fucking certain of what I'm mm-hmm. thinking and so righteous about it. And I've always tried to temper righteousness in my personality even though i feel it intensely yeah right sure but i try to temper it because relationally it's just a bad thing (laughs) you know like it shuts off it just kills relationships right yeah but when i when i was had this manic episode and then when i was on some of the wrong medication that righteousness was so intense and i got to the point where i what happened was if i was feeling it i could be like oh this isn't real like there's a and there's enough of a kernel of truth in it that you can defend it until you you know, turn to ashes in your shoes. But like, but like, I'm part of what my experience has been in the last two years is all these different ways in which I can be like, Oh, I'm feeling this thing. It feels very real. That means it's not. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and that is a really shitty feeling, right? Yeah. So anyway, sure. so it's not just, so in the context of that, then trying to witness yourself and be like, I'm feeling this thing. I think it might be the medication. I need to talk to my medication manager. Or I need to advocate for myself if my medication manager is feeling certain that this is the right thing, whatever. And then what you experience, I know, you know this when you do decide to switch. And even if you're fully supported in switching, you may go through a whole new hell, right? Yeah. And what I was reading in these transcripts that was just crushing my heart was all of the examples of young people saying, I knew this wasn't right in me, but all that I would hear back is, well, you're not behaving well, or you're fucked up or whatever. You just take your meds. We, we decided what the meds are. You got to take them. There's no not only might you not inherently at that point have the ability to advocate for yourself or even understand that advocating for yourself is a thing, that you have that power, that you are inherently, uh, the, the, the person that is most expert on you and your body, even if you have to learn what to trust and what not to, you are the expert, right? And it's in everything you need to be the expert is there. And it's only there for you. I guess that's kind of what I mean to say. And, and the way that kids talked about how, um, they would try to say, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel good. And what would come back is essentially like, hey, look, you're a fucked up kid. This is just what you need. We need trust us, right? We're the professionals. Yeah. And in some cases, the quote unquote professionals are really just the foster parents who maybe don't have any kind of like intelligence around mental health or child development, right? Or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Same problem with the juvenile justice system, the so-called mm-hmm. juvenile justice system, which treats, you know kids uh, as if they couldn't possibly be expert on anything except being shitty kids and sure. and even then it's like you don't even know why you're a shitty kid do you like that's see, that's the like internalized message or at least in the hundreds of interviews i've gone through that certainly comes up so anyway from a mental health perspective i was just realizing and one of the things and if anybody has any information along these lines that would be interested is like i am certain that for fosters there probably isn't any really good sort of guidance out there in the world to be like here are some sort of ways of listening to your body and trying to understand, right. Uh, it's complex, right. <laughs> or it's complicated. It's not always complex, but, um, but I just realized there's no advocate, there's no, there's no tool there. There must, I, I don't think if you think about, if you think about the, the kinds of rights that foster kids uh, um, deserve, need are sometimes given at least in legislation about, You know, whether it's visitation with siblings or um, access to mental health treatment or, um, you know, um, all these different things that you might have, it's very difficult um, to imagine a lot of energy around somehow what legislating this idea that, like, you deserve to have a voice in your medical care, which is a little easier to imagine than you deserve to be helped to understand what is happening in your body and what it might mean or what to expect. And I get the sense that there's just none of that. And you're all alone. I just think of these kids, like you're already so goddamn alone and you're also alone in this fog of medication hell. Um, And I've just been thinking about that a lot. So, and, and, and of course, like thinking about it, 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 because I've had my own sort of experience in the last couple of years that um, I hadn't previously had of just like how, how not yourself you can feel and how hard it can be to trust yourself and how hard it can be to get good help. Like I had a medication manager I really liked, but that person made some really bad decisions on my behalf and it impacted me in really significant ways that, that involved my body. And you went through it
1: with the support of your family.
2: Yeah. And a, and a partner who's a therapist and, (laughs) but, 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 but it's, it's still a, she's my partner, not my therapist. Right. And so, so there's still going to be dynamics Mm -hmm. where she might see one thing that seems really obvious and I'm still in a place where I'm like, no, no, I don't see it. And and in fact, the thing I've decided is what I'm staying with, you know, whatever. So it's like all over the place, but I mostly just want to say, just remember that um, there are a lot of kids out there that uh deal with some of the stuff we talk about all the time and have no frame of reference for it and um and almost no agency. <laughs> yeah. So. Oof. Yeah, that's my mental health check-in. It was it, it was hard to read. It was it was really hard to read over and over again. Um I, it, which isn't, you know, that's it's <laughs> having to read it is a lot less problematic than having to experience it. But. I'm
1: going to link Max QDA in the show notes because yeah. it is pretty amazing software for anyone doing text analysis of any
2: kind yeah um, one of the things i love to do uh, in it uh, when i'm starting especially when it's interview transcripts with well mostly i've done this with interviews transcripts with kids either in the like juvenile justice system so-called or, or now the foster system it's like it, it has all these different ways it's like max qda opens up a thousand windows for you to look at text and so i think traditionally the not exactly but like the most i think assumed method of like coding an interview. So, you know, you're like, Oh, this section is about hurt. This section's about family, right? Is to read it front to bottom or top to bottom. Um, But the way that I've come to do this work is almost exclusively to come at it sideways and diagonally and whatever else. And one of my favorite things to do with Max QDA, which is just one simple feature. It's not even one of the most powerful features, is they create these sort of sentence diagrams so that you you can put a word in and then it'll show you where that word goes, right? And like yeah. a really nice looking almost like who's the a tufty, who's the whatever. Like it's that that style of like yeah. data visualization. And one of the things that I came to really that I've come to really rely on is what I call I statements, which is like the first thing I'll do is look at that sentence tree for, I wish I can't, I never, I want, um, uh, in, and, um, and it's incredible when you take just something like I wish, which I I don't mean at all to sound like this isn't like, um, the children are a future kind of like Mm, warm fuzzy stuff. Like when people talk about what they wish they're talking about what hurts the most often. Right. Um, and to see the directions that the words I wish can lead to and then, to be able to, what, what's what been so powerful to me is like when you're working with kids and stories um, that are often like stories of harm, or they're at least like entangled in harmful systems, like oftentimes people fall into the trap of putting a story in front of you, which can be kind of voyeuristic and and I think a little um, and it's ethically just a little, not good. Um, and, and just from a cosmic standpoint, like don't just put my story out there so that you can yeah. make people react a certain way. But now what I do when I'm helping people do either advocacy, or maybe they're trying to facilitate sessions with the people that, uh, have power over these kids or whatever is you can curate these statements like an, I wish statement. And, and if you have, and have done this, and if you have sort of like a curated diagram of these sentences and where i wish can go what you've done is created like uh, a sort of map of the ecosystem of the child right because they're they're not just going to be talking about the system and they're going to remind you through this or it's going to remind you of all the basic needs that we all have as humans but we totally just box these kids in into like oh well their primary need must just be sure i don't know what to be free of the system to have a better judge whatever the fuck it would be and and in reality um it's so many like uh intertwined uh, desires and longings and and rights and needs and anyway and 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 so Max QDA because I am really just talking about software. Um, <laughs> just it, it's been amazing for me as a person who loves people's who loves to like work with people's stories in a way that hopefully honors them. Like it's amazing to see all the ways you can come into it. And and just one last thing, Brett, through through the wonder of torrents. I have, I'm a huge, I'm a Tolstoy freak. I fucking love sure, that sure. angry, angry bearded man. Um, and, and I've always wanted to be able to look across text files of his books by a certain translator. And in this case, it's a couple, it's like a married couple. Um, and I, through the wonder of Torrance, <laughs> I got, I got the EPUB files of all of these uh, and like Resurrection, War and Peace, Anna Karenina, I mean, we've all heard the names, right? And, um, and I put them into text files and I did, I wish statements and, <laughs> and it was incredible because if I looked across a book, like if I looked just at, I wish statements and Anna Karenina, there were only like 13, but they actually created an, enough of an outline of the story that it brought it all back to me. <laughs> nice. But the thing I'm doing next is like, if anybody's read Tolstoy, you will know what I'm talking about. Like, and that sounds like a pretentious statement and I don't mean it to be, and I had to create a book club <laughs> to read Tolstoy because I could never get through of it. But anyway the way that he can tell you what a piece of shit you are by describing how you use your lips (laughs) is like one of my favorite things about Tolstoy. And so I've always wanted to do like a a comprehensive uh, review of how he describes particularly your lower face (laughs) when he really hates you. Um, So stay tuned. Uh, Maybe I'll do a reading in in a future episode. Excellent. Also Max QDA. Anyway, sorry, that was a long... Amazing. All right. Here we are.
1: Um, So we're going to use some of that magic... Magic of Technology, right now, and we're going to get a uh, sponsor read from Christina. Hey,
0: everybody, it's Christina here, and I'm not on the show this week because I'm on a train to Portland to get a new laptop. Uh, more details on that later. But I could not let things go without talking about our sponsor of this week's show, Notion, and their new Q&A feature. So if you're anything like me, you might already be familiar with Notion, which is the sponsor of today's episode, as I said. I use this all the time for, for notes, for documents. I have internal wikis of various things that I collect. And I really love the interface. And I really love how easy it is to create docs. But But now I also like how easy it is to find things because of a new AI tool they've launched called Q&A. So this is basically a personal assistant that responds really fast with exactly what you need right in your doc. So here's a real world example from me. I have a Notion doc filled with links and information about various discounts that I get as a corporate employee. This is kind of a difficult document to Um, like suss through because it's actually the combination of like five different documents that I've sourced from a bunch of different places. So it's not super well organized. Well, this is why this was perfect to use Q&A with because I can just ask uh, Notion's Q&A assistant, I can say, okay, show me um, my discount code or my discount URL for Avis. And it will give it to me and I don't have to go searching for, okay, was it in the transportation section or is it in the car rental section or is it in some other discount section? It'll just give me the information when I ask the question. And this is the sort of thing that it can do for anybody. It doesn't just have to be, you know, your weird, you know, link collections and and, and documents. It can also use your own personal notes, your docs, your projects. All that is going to be together in one beautiful space. And then you can navigate that space using Q&A. Um, to ask questions, maybe about like next month's like roadmap uh, that you're doing for next quarter or next month, or you know a, a marketing campaign proposal that you're looking for, um, or you know like I said, like what I'm doing all the time, digging up long lost links because that's a problem that I personally have and that uh, the that Notion definitely can help can help me out with. So if you haven't used Notion, um, I think that you should definitely give it a shot. And Notion AI can now give you instant answers to your questions using information from across your wiki, your project docs, your meeting notes, etc. So you can try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com slash overtired. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash overtired to try the powerful, easy-to-use Notion AI today, and when you're going to use our link, you are supporting our show. So once again, that is notion.com slash overtired. Try out the Q&A feature. Try out the Notion AI stuff. It's really slick. I'm a big fan. Thanks a lot, Notion.
1: You know that experience of learning something new that would have been so useful last week, or finding something special that you hadn't realized you'd been missing all these years? Well, today might be one of those days. Around Square is a company you've probably never heard about, but for certain people, the brand, the products, and the ideas just really resonate. Since 2007, Around Square has been designing and producing beautiful, unusual, functional goods for the mind and body. Their specialty is a range of intriguing little objects for everyday carry. Many of these are things that could be called skill toys, dexterity trainers, or fidget items, but they don't really conform to those labels, and none of them really do the products justice. They're striking, minimalist objects more akin to jewelry than playthings, but they're also serious tools designed for creative exploration and peaceful manipulation, things to keep your hands busy and the mind at ease by providing just the desired level of stimulation. Around Square's eclectic range goes way beyond this and includes stationary, jewelry, functional clothing and much more. Check it out at www.aroundsquare.com and use the code OVERTIRED at checkout for 15% off. That's aroundsquare.com A-R-O-U-N-D-S-Q-U-A-R-E .com
2: It's just so nice to hear your voice Christina I mean it's <laughs> a, your absence here and, and now to have you back for just that moment
1: <laughs> So this is going to be I think a pretty technical episode Yes um, Now that we're through the mental health corner which is messy as hell um, <laughs> as, as so many of us are but Jeff We've talked before about your clean installs um, <laughs> that are a matter of habit for you, um, but oh,
2: this is
1: got, an <laughs> it got Go a little different. Like something changed.
2: Yeah, I got medication. So <laughs> I, this is the funny thing is that I haven't done a clean install of my computer since I started becoming uh, since I started medication for bipolar, and and what I recognize and Brett knows this from working with me for years is that. What used to happen to me all the time, and I think these were this was a result of manic episodes of, of some sort, which is that I'd be looking at my computer, and all of a sudden I'd be like, "It's all wrong. It's all messed up. I've <laughs> configured everything weird. I got to start from scratch." And then I would I would very abruptly do a clean install, which is not the way to do a clean install, right? <laughs> um, and and I would do that clean install maybe in the middle of a workday not thinking about the fact that (laughs) the next morning I have a zoom meeting and I won't have downloaded zoom and I won't yet have logged into my work email on my Mac so that I can quickly get into Google drive or whatever the fuck it is. People make me do. Um, And, and, and it would become this horrible um, like obstacle course for me for weeks. And, I will have messed up my basic like file system. I will have thrown everything onto an external hard drive called like clean install, you know, mm-hmm. MacBook Pro, twenty thirteen or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I start from scratch without properly moving everything over. And it was it, and it actually very like it, in its own way. When they talk about like um, m- manic episodes, like that, you would have sort of a tendency to um, take risks, right? <laughs> right. It really disrupted my my work life for probably two weeks at a time, whenever I would do that. And when I would do it, I'd be like, Oh God, it's coming. I know I got to do a clean install. Um, So anyway, I just did the first one in like two years and I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure it was the best and most stable decision, but I, I did it in a way that was very mindful. I got everything back up and running real quick. So I'm not running into like, Oh, I never put this thing back on right um homebrew makes that nice brew yeah. files right like there's well, i've also developed ways to protect myself
1: with with <laughs> like a brew file like where you yeah. like yeah
2: so if amazing. you use homebrew if you don't use homebrew package manager like helps you you know download all kinds of apps um and tools and you can create whatever you've downloaded for me over the last two years since the last clean install two and a half is all in one list and i can just say Please install these it things.
1: Can, it can even do Mac App Store apps. Yes,
2: if you install MAS. Yep. You can even do Mac App Store apps. So anyway, why are we talking about this? Because before we came on, Brett and I were talking and I said, Brett, I did a clean install. Like I felt like I had to come clean, and no pun intended. And what was cool this time is I realized it had been so long. So I realized how many apps were just running back there that I'd really forgotten about that were really impacting my experience of my computer in a way that were really great. And like the example I gave Brett was like the app peak, which is like a, an app you can get from the app store. And it, it not only allows you to do quick look quick look on a lot of files, you know, you press the space bar and your file comes up a little preview, but it allows you, I mean, it's like, there'll be, um, if it's code, it's got the like proper sort of syntax Syntax highlighting or like you can copy and paste. If it's a spreadsheet, you can do like a column. Like it's incredible. and if it's
1: markdown and it has multiple headers you get a table of contents for viewing a markdown file and you can copy paste out of it which is a big deal since like mavericks yeah like when they stopped allowing select and copy and paste in quick look yeah so well
2: okay that's a question for you so that there was a point at which quick look suddenly did not i was like what is happening so that was was mavericks i
1: think it was around mavericks yeah
2: and so having forgotten that it was Peak that was allowing me to do this because I use Quick Look all the time sure. in this context, when I did my first Quick Look and it just showed the icon of the file, I was like, well, <laughs> yeah. how, do I, how do I get back to the thing? What the <laughs> hell happened? <laughs> um, and so Peak was just a really great example of just something just absolutely like wonderful impacting my life in the background. Do you have what, What's something that you didn't build that, um, that has that impact for you that's just kind of back there? making uh your life different on your computer
1: (laughs) i guess i would say hazel
2: hazel explain it i'm sure most people know what it is who are listening but explain it so
1: hazel watches for file changes and acts on files um and you can have any set of criteria if the file matches this file name if it has this label if it's this old um and then have it run any series of actions on that file um, I would say, like for me, my most common Hazel task is if I name an image file in the name, if it says percent, percent, and then a series of characters like R600 means resize to six hundred, o means optimize. Uh, C means convert to JPEG. Uh, H means create uh, 1X and 2X images, half, H for half. And so I've just gotten in the habit of when I save a file to my desktop, I give it a name with percent percent and then the series of characters and Hazel just picks that up and I come out with, um, all of the necessary files for publication to whatever medium. Um, and I don't think about it being Hazel when I do that. It just, it's just the way I save files. Um, files in my download folder get labeled based on their age and anything that ends up with a red tag need either needs to be deleted or dealt with, um, anything with a blue tag gets ignored. Like, so if something is, this is a permanently a part of this folder, I just give it a blue tag and it gets ignored. Everything else gets aged over time. One week, one month, three yeah. months. Um, so I can see like what needs to be most urgently dealt with um so yeah hazel is one of those things that is integral to my uh daily system that in general i haven't actually opened hazel probably for months Um, (laughs) yeah yeah it It just just, like you get it set it doesn't break it it just works (laughs) it It doesn't break
2: i one of the silly things i use hazel for is like i'm one of these um just monsters who keeps a folder on my desktop called desktop and, um, (laughs) And and Hazel just knows like if something's been on my desktop that isn't that folder for more than a day, I'm just gonna put it in that folder. Yeah. And that just becomes where all that stuff lives. And with downloads, I have a downloads like archive folder inside yep. of it because I don't want to search so much. And the, if it's been there for more than a day, it just moves in. Mine is uh, just called yeah.
1: mine is called stuff to review. And if it sits if it sits in my downloads folder long enough, it gets moved to stuff to review. And I should have one that just automatically deletes anything after three months. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I
2: had that in my physical space as well. <laughs> right. If I have not laid a finger on this, then it I just do that, burns. I, I do that with organizing.
1: Uh, when I, like cleaning my office, anything that I'm not currently using gets put into a series of boxes. Mm. And if over the next three months I have to open that box and dig through and find that thing, that thing gets moved into a more permanent location. If yeah. after three months, I haven't looked for that thing once and I've forgotten it even exists, that box can go to Goodwill.
2: Oh my um, God, That's an, I heard of, I've heard of people doing this. I almost think I can and I can't.
1: It's not easy. Yeah. Like it, it takes, like I have to separate from my uh, archival instincts, yeah, Like I have this, this need to keep everything I've ever owned or ever written or ever read like somewhere where I can access it in the future. But the fact is so much of it, I just don't need in my day-to-day space or my day-to-day like data life. Yeah. Um, and I do the same with like Envy Ultra Notes. Um, mm. every once in a while, I'll just do a spotlight search for anything that hasn't been updated or modified in the last year, yeah. move it, move it to an archive folder, not delete it, just yeah. move it out of the space. So if I need it, I have to search for it. And if I search for it, it gets moved back into regular rotation. But hmm. after three months, that whole folder just gets moved to like, I don't delete it, but it gets yeah. moved to like this analogy. Yeah. Uh, As like archival
2: storage. Now, theoretically, what you could do with a, maybe you could do this with Hazel. You could certainly script it is like, you've got that whole system going where like, if it hasn't been searched, you're moving it over, but you could also make it that if you do land on it in a search, it just automatically gets put back in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's feasible. You could do that.
2: You could do that. Cause you You can actually script Hazel too. Right. So it's like, yeah.
1: Yeah. You might have to use some tagging to make it work,
2: but. Oh, Brett. I know you're okay using some tagging. Oh,
1: absolutely.
2: I just found my notes when I made you early, when we started working together, I'm like, we're going to spend at least three hours (laughs) with you talking to me about tagging. I have such good notes. I
1: have (laughs) given up. I've given up on trying to convince people about tagging. If you haven't gotten it at this point, um, you're, you're, you're probably not a tagger, but I still, I still consider it like vital to a real file management system. Is
2: there anything, um, and this is kind of probably an ignorant question, but is there anything about the way the OS has changed over the years besides there was one major change in tagging? Um, but like, is there anything that's changed your sense of how tagging can be useful and how your own system works?
1: like so there was we used to use open meta tagging yep which put a kom user tag no om user tags attribute onto files and that's how and tags were able to move with the file wherever it went this system and then i think it was mavericks again where apple kind of sherlocked that and made the KOM user tags and it worked exactly the same as open meta and open meta became irrelevant instantly. Yeah. Since, since that time, I don't think anything has changed other than Apple increasing adoption of this file attribute on iOS. So now your tags that you apply in finder on your Mac show up on iOS and vice versa. Yeah. Um, other than that, no, like nothing has changed that either promotes or detracts from the idea of tagging.
2: And and we, I don't have to get into your specific way of tagging, but you, you changed my life with your tagging approach, especially from my work archives. It's just amazing the way I can navigate through them now. Yeah. Um, it's really awesome. It's so much more intuitive than nested folders. Yes, which, yeah, yeah, which is like, what a mess. And right. I still sometimes, if I'm in a hurry, I make a bunch of nested folders and I look at it and I'm like, what, what have I just done? This is crazy. Yeah. I, so yeah. I
1: wrote an app or I wrote a utility a long time ago, a time ago called Tag Filer. Yeah, um, which that, I use. That lets you tag using colon separated like lengthy tags and then automatically files them into a relatively shallow folder system. Uh, you can go as deep as you want, but the idea is to keep it relatively shallow, but still organized so that if you ever were to lose all your tags, like you you run them through like Dropbox and they come back with no tags, mm-hmm. um, you still have a shallow folder system to help separate your files. So that's like the initial um, logic behind it, but in practice, like what it does, I don't I don't look for folders. I, when I want to find a file, I don't look for folders. I look based on tags. And Mac OS, if you separate... If you have a tag name that has a colon in it, you can This search, is the genius of the Brett Terpstra you system. Can, you can search the portions of the tag name separated by colon. So if the tag name is work colon mdless colon design... A, complete, a theoretical tag. You can search any of those three parts. You can search MD less, you can search design and you can group files based on this kind of hierarchical tag that you've created. Um, uh, Mac OS, their tagging system isn't hierarchical. It's, it's very flat, but yeah. using punctuation, you can't nest tags,
2: right? But using mm.
1: punctuation of any kind, you kind of can nest tags. Yeah. And it, it works really well.
2: Well, and you know what? I was I was revisiting Bear, the app Bear, which is yeah. just a really yeah. nice way to write. It is. text and markdown files, but they, they introduced, like it was a few years ago, they introduced nested tabs yep. where if, the, so normally a tab with them is like you do hash and then the, the word and that's the tag. But if you then put a slash in, yep. it not only becomes an actual nested tag, but in your like sidebar, it yep. becomes a sort of nested folder of tags, which reminded me of your thing. Did they steal it from you or what?
1: No, no, that's, <laughs> that's theirs. But did you see the, the marked preprocessor I wrote for integration with bear? No. Uh, there's a, I'll link it on my blog. Let me make a quick note. But um, When was this? Uh, about a month ago, maybe.
2: No. How did I miss this? Well, I only just started using Bear again. I go back and forth. But...
1: Yeah. So I wrote a preprocessor for Mark that handles tags and nested tags and creates actual links. So if you click it in the preview document, it will open that nested tag in bear
2: you motherfucker
1: and and i created a new preview style that exactly mimics bears markdown preview and bear bear a long time ago integrated marks so you can go yes, to yes. note preview yep. and mark which i've done yeah. and you can see your note but i added a preprocessor that handles all like highlighter like equals equals yep uh, it handles all of these special bear syntax Jesus.
2: okay good to know yeah, yeah good to know.
1: check it out I'll, I'll, uh, link, I'll link it in the show notes.
2: Will you educate me, even though I could Google this, it, when you said um, this term, Sherlocked, which gets yeah. used, what does it mean? Where does it come from?
1: So there was this app called Sherlock um, that at, at one point in Apple's OS development, I can't remember what year this was, uh, but they turned it into Spotlight. And they didn't buy Sherlock. They just duplicated it
2: uh, and
1: put sherlock out of business by just making it part of the operating system yep which with in the case of open meta they didn't open meta was an open source standard yeah but they never acknowledged it they just made it part of the operating system invalidated its existence you know outside of the base os yeah and and like they've done it multiple times over the years. I I couldn't even name all of the all yeah. of the innovations in Mac OS that are the result of them just duplicating another app's functionality, like a third party app that really nailed something, and instead of buying it, they just stole it. Yeah that's that's Sherlocking.
2: Okay, well, while we're doing this, what is dog fooding? I don't know. Mm. What is dog fooding? Software engineers are hungry for excellence dogs are hungry for dog food no nope, that's not what I'm looking at <laughs> I, okay, software development the jet brain, the jet brains way dog fooding a practice especially popular in software development industry it means that a company fully tests its products first on itself and now I've run out of the preview text hold on. <laughs> So you not heard this term? Let's see. It yeah. means that a company fully tests its products first on itself, using them as end users would, and effectively the company eats its own dog food. Okay. <laughs> oh man, that's that's fine. Sorry, that was way out. So le- I want to ask you a question. Um, you've been you've been making these updates to your tool MD, MD less and and i i love when you suddenly have a bunch of blog posts cuz you're making changes to something and you're making always very thoughtful changes like it's never i know that if you've posted about an update i'm not going to be like why am i reading this it's cuz it's not only going to be an awesome update to that tool if i use it but paradigmatically it's going to be inspiring and interesting <laughs> so will you talk about what md less is first when you made it and why and what did what caused you to make these changes and what are they go ahead caller <laughs>
1: So MD less is, okay, so if you're, if you use the command line, you're familiar with the command less. And less is basically paginates any text document and allows you, and it has like built in tools for like Vim style searching and up and down navigation. And um, it's just kind of like the default pager for most Linux and Mac OS systems, um, but it doesn't do anything special with Markdown. So I wanted a Markdown-less, uh, something that would process and highlight, syntax highlight Markdown in a more readable way so that say my, the readme file for the open source project I was working on, it didn't have to open up in Marked or in another editor. I could just view it on the command line but view it with some styling, um, and that's where MDLs began. And the original version of MDLs was all based on regular expressions. Oh
2: so, my god, really?
1: Yeah. Wow. So it would it would detect like this is a code block, this is a list item based on regular expressions, and that led to a lot of edge cases uh, where it was not behaving the way a Markdown processor would. Mm. Um so I recently, and you know a little
2: bit something about markdown processors yeah, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah. So I
1: I recently <laughs> re, remade it. Um there's a ruby library called uh red carpet which is a red cloth uh kind of revision that does What is all, red cloth? Uh it's a markdown processor. It, oh it is. Okay. It's one ahead. of the original like ruby markdown pro- processors. Okay. Um and red carpet uh it it'll basically generate the outline for an HTML document from a markdown file, but then it lets you write your own, um, renderers. So you can create a renderer that, uh, you know, it sends you a request for a paragraph and you tell it what to output for a paragraph or a list or a list item. And so I basically made that work with command line and output, like ANSI escape codes to colorize and, and output all these elements. So it, it lifted the burden of Markdown uh, uh, interpretation parsing mm-hmm. for me and let me just work on the output. Um, it got really complicated, like with things like lists. Uh, it doesn't, when it calls for rendering a list item, or an entire list it doesn't tell you if that list is nested it doesn't tell you uh an index for the list item it doesn't give you any of that so i had to write in all of these things that output markers that then i could go through with regular expressions and replace with correct indexes for like numeric lists wow. and indentation like i had to be able to create because in html you just put a UL tag around the list and if it's already inside yeah. another list, it'll indent Yeah. Uh, based on your styling. You can't do that in terminals. So I had to write a, a whole series of functions that would indent and then correctly index each list item, uh, which got it. it I spent three days getting numeric lists to work properly. When they were nested and when they were interrupted by another list, um,
2: which and, is the thing that always goes wrong. Yeah, when was, rendering markdown like a preview, right? Like, so
1: I was dreaming for two nights. I was dreaming about the problem, and <laughs> and I came the first night. I, I thought I had the solution when I woke up, and I tried to implement it and realized immediately that there were major flaws in the plan. And I I futs with it for a day and then went back to bed and had a dream the second night that led me to the final solution and now it is it's pretty flawless now it's a sturdy <sighs> solution
2: that's awesome and and is are lists the hardest when you're trying to create something that processes markdown for a preview are lists the hardest thing is there um
1: so it, it, the nested elements are the hardest thing which are a part of lists um because within a list you can nest paragraphs and you can nest code blocks and to maintain list formatting when you're dealing with nested block elements um yeah that is i think the hardest part um for a command line parser the second hardest part is dealing with ANSI escape codes so like you have a you have a paragraph and you start it with the paragraph coloring But then you hit a bold tag. And so you switch to the bold, like maybe it's bold, maybe it's a different color, maybe it's underlined. After that tag ends, you have to go back to the paragraph coloring, but there's no marker that says okay, now it's back to a paragraph. You've just inserted an escape code into the paragraph that changes the color and then leaves it as is for the rest of the paragraph. Mm, So I, I had to write uh, functions that looked, when there was a span element inside of a paragraph, it had to look at the text before that element happened, determine what ANSI escape code would replicate the text right before that tag and then reinsert it after that tag. Oh God. Uh, it's, it's, uh, what I
2: love about this is that this is in such stark contrast to the simplicity and mission <laughs> of Markdown itself. Right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for your service. (laughs) Yeah, but I have a I have a sort of related question. I don't know where we are at on time. I don't see a timer right now.
1: 52 minutes.
2: Okay, just a, maybe we can save this. But I, if anybody's still listening, they will also want the answer to this question. Anybody who isn't interested is gone. Um, <laughs> so, I the thing that I have, I mean, the the real like issue I want to be so much more seamless, and and it will allow me to work in Markdown as a collaborator as much as I want is for exports to be dependable. If I want to export a document I've created in Markdown into a PDF or a Word document or whatever it is. And I've, I've never quite, I mean, I think Mark does a great job with PDF stuff. I've, I don't know that I've tried with Mark with, with doc X, oh, but it's not great. I'm That's thinking of bear, not, not of marked right now. So, cause I was starting to use bear again and I wrote a whole ass like memo to a client and I'm like, Oh shit, I just wrote this whole thing in Markdown and <laughs> not in a Google doc. And so when it came time to export it, I was like, this looks like shit. And, and I'm wondering if, is there hope if I were to, really nail down a very specific style, a very specific, like say, Pandoc template or something. Mm-hmm. Like, is there is there a mountaintop I could get to where I was like, every time I write a memo in for a client in Markdown and I export it, it does not look like some weird-ass fucking Frankenstein that I didn't have time to fix because I finish everything the second before I need to send it. Pandoc is your answer. And and with Pandoc, what I've done in the past, you, you create... Like say if it's a word document, you create the template, the basic mm-hmm. template. These are what the headers look at, whatever. Um, and I wonder if so. I've had good luck with Pandoc for sure. If it's not a complex document, um, if there aren't a lot of images, if there aren't, it's images that start to really mess things up, or like graphics or sure. whatever. Yeah. Um, but but are you are you encouraging me? To go a little harder with Pandoc to try yeah. to find my special place, and that yeah. will, I will, I will climb that mountain. Pandoc is, will get me up that mountain. There is no substitute
1: for Pandoc. All right, especially especially when it comes to word documents. Ulysses does an excellent job of creating structured word documents. What Marked creates is basically an RTF file with Docx encoding. Yeah, um, but it's like your your H one headers aren't objects that you can then style with a template yeah it's 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 a hack it's a it's a bit of a mess okay um, i've i've never promoted mark's um doc x mm-hmm. capabilities mm-hmm. pandoc if i need to create an epub if i need to create a doc x file if i need to create anything other than your basic pdf and html yeah um pandoc does everything okay and, and with with a little tweaking you can create a a single command you can have like make make memo.sh yeah and and it'll pull in your Docx templates and make you the perfect document.
2: I need to go deeper. I've used it forever for very simple things. I use Pandoc commands just to quickly convert like a bunch of RTF files to Markdown or a sure. bunch of Word doc files to, to Markdown. I usually go that direction. And, yeah, and and, and that's it's great for like that Flawless, too. flawless. Yeah. Um, that's great. Thank you for anybody yeah. who's been listening this long and feels like we're just trying to signal the other secret Soviet spies that we work with <laughs> with all of these various code words. Uh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, I put,
1: I put PEP 4440 on our topic. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're not going to get into it, but I'm going to summarize. I just discovered this today because of a sublime text update, but are you familiar with semantic versioning?
2: Oh man. Only not in a way I could
1: speak it. So like the, uh, a version number that's like 2.0.12. twelve. Yeah. You have your major, your minor, and your patch, Two.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it.
1: Yep. Okay, so that's pretty simple, and that's what Apple uses. That's what most software developers use. There's this new standard that came out of the Python project called PEP 40, 440, P-E-P 440. And it adds all of these, like, epoch versioning so if you're using semantic versioning but you've always used date format so you like have like year month day or whatever as your version numbers now you can add an epoch to that so you add like one exclamation point and then you can switch to like a regular semantic versioning and it will know when it sorts them that 1.0.2 is later than 2023.12 and and it, wow. adds, it adds handling for uh, alpha, beta, and release candidates. It adds handling for local versioning and dev versioning. And it is, it's complex. I've written parsers for semantic versioning for multiple of my apps, uh, especially my command line utilities that can determine this version number is newer or older than this version number. And I can use it in rake files for things like bumping a version number by patch or, inc- uh, minor major. Um, yeah, this would require, uh, like three times as much code to accomplish. I'm, I'm kind of, it, it makes sense as a versioning <laughs> standard. Like it yeah. covers, it covers all these edge cases,
2: but it's so complicated.
1: Um, <laughs> but that's a boring topic we should definitely although i have to
2: say like epoch like epoch uh ids or numbering sounds so uh, that sounds like such hubris like i feel like <laughs> what if you even then went further and you're like you know like uh what did what do they call like the, the period of like the bronze age the prehistoric age what are era <laughs> what kind of eras i guess epoch seems like it's more important than an era <laughs> um anyway all right. up up yes this has been all graptitude.
1: It, it kind of has. But I still got one. We got a lot of app links in here. You want to go first?
2: Yeah. Well, I already mentioned um, Peak, which I really recommend. It's on set app, which I also really recommend. That was the one other fun thing about doing this clean install was like, oh, I just opened set app. It's like a yeah. brew file and set app and yep. then whatever if, a little bit. Um, but there's something I, I hadn't been using that felt like a little too intrusive, but I, I really love, which is called Paste. And it basically remembers, like, God help you, like, a lot of your clipboard history. And if you hit the keyboard shortcut or you you click it in the menu bar, this little, um, like, graphical interface comes up at the bottom of your screen, which is, in my case, my last, like, I think 10 clipboard ads. Uh, sorry, my, the last, like, 10 things I added to my clipboard. And I can just hit one of them and 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 use it again. Or, when this is, I think, even better... And I used to use some other tool for this. Maybe it was an Alfred. I used to use Alfred for this. But like, if I need to, if I'm looking at a document and I want a paragraph from up here, a paragraph from down here, a paragraph from the bottom, and then I want to paste them together, um, I can use this. I can just be like one, two, three. There they all are. Um, and uh, and I love it. So anyway, it's a really fun tool. And um, man, setup has gotten good. I like I it's been a while since I did I went through every app and set app just to like see is there anything I want that I don't use or is there anything I, I want to use that I used to use and I forgot about. And um, when Setup first came out, I was like, eh, there's like five things I really want on here, and I already own licenses to them. Um, but I loved how they worked. And you described how, as a developer, it's a, it's a better option in terms of getting paid. Yeah. Um, and so I, I became dedicated based on that. So even if I have a license to HudaSpot or to CleanShot or whatever it is, I, I use that um, version now. Um, but I, if nobody uses set app, it's like a subscription service and you can use a zillion apps it's for like that one $10 price Ten a month. It's like the Netflix you, of apps.
1: You save so much money. Oh because, my God. You save so much. Half the apps on there are subscription anyway. Yes. And and you would be paying five to $10 a month per app. But with set yes. you pay a, a flat $10 a month. And you have access. It's up to over 200 apps now.
2: God, we're throwing sponsor money away right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll send this to you set up. And if you'd like to hear this and more. um, Yeah.
1: As a counterpoint to your pick. um, I don't, I'm sure Alfred has all the capabilities, but I use launch bar. Yeah. And with launch bar on my system, I can hit command option backslash and I get all everything that's been in my clipboard. Yes, that's and, what I use. And I can use I can use type ahead searching to find exactly what I copied. Oh. You know, ten copies ago, I can find it and hit enter, and it'll paste it. And it gives me Command CC, so I can highlight a paragraph, hit Command C, and then go highlight another paragraph, hit Command CC, and it will append it in the clipboard to mm. that previous paragraph so i just keep hitting command cc until i've got everything i want to combine yeah then when when i hit command v it pastes the combined output okay um, pop clip pop clip has functionality for yes concatenated copies too
2: yes i have i am trying to operate without pop clip right now after my clean install uh just out of curiosity okay I use it all the time. I mean, I use it all the time. I love. But I was like, it's actually because it's not because I don't love it. It's because I want to know just how much it does for me. You know, (laughs) like I want to, I want to appreciate it again.
1: (laughs) You're funny. (laughs) It's app app mindfulness.
2: App mindfulness. That's that's it. That's it. Oh, I'm glad you reminded me of that because, and it actually feels less like a sort of counterpoint and more as I can imagine using that more. I'm remembering now the Alfred whatever plugin I used was something (laughs) like that. Although this thing where it pops up a bar along the bottom and it's all of you, it's like looking yeah. at your search history. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, I was, why was I searching, uh, you know, like odd sizes of metric bolts? Yeah, uh, there, you know,
1: there was a, like, there was a utility um, in the early days of my use of Mac OS. Are you about to say um,
2: Quicksilver? no oh no there was
1: there was one that was specifically for clipboard it was called like clipboard plus or something and it gave you like when you would hit the shortcut it would give you a sidebar on your screen with like little previews of images and text and yeah and rich text that you had copied and you could just click one and paste it um i find the launch bar integration a lot more because i use launch like launch bar is always up for me So it just makes sense that I would use its integrated features. Um, But yeah, it's nice to have that little preview window and everything.
2: Yeah. Okay, wait, now what's your gratitude? Sorry, I just totally. Oh,
1: so I'm torn between two. I'm gonna go with Fathom Analytics. Um, This will be for a certain segment of our audience, but if you run a blog and, or you run an online shop or you do anything where you use Google Analytics, you are giving away your customer and your reader's data to Google for all kinds of nefarious purposes. So I went out searching when I really locked down privacy on I I knew I had to get rid of Google Analytics and I went out searching for a replacement. And there are multiple options, but the one I landed on is called Fathom, F-A-T-H-O-M. And it is very privacy oriented. It doesn't collect any demographic info. I mean, it's it's a significantly nice. less amount of info than you would get from Google Analytics. But for me, what I really needed to know was what pages were popular, how many people were visiting it, uh, where they went uh, from one page to another. And um, they recently added... You can set up custom events without creating them first in the interface. Like normally previously you would have to create the event and then add the code for that event into your JavaScript so that when that event happened, it would trigger a yeah. Now you can just write JavaScript, add a name for the event, add a value if you want optionally a value to the event And it will just show up in your dashboard as this event happened this many times. And you can create unlimited number of events. So you can have them dynamically created. Like right now, every project on my website gets a custom event. So I can see exactly Uh, how many downloads each individual project got in a day and it it makes, yeah, it's super nice. Anything
2: surprising in that?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, L- less surprising, Alt still gets like 50 downloads a day. Um, uh, search Link, I was surprised how many people were downloading Search, search link. link. It's great, and the Markdown service tools are surprisingly popular, even though I haven't yeah. updated them forever.
2: Yeah, 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 they're great. Yeah. Um,
1: and and I recently discovered I can get um, statistics on how many people have installed my gems my ruby gems yeah i those had always been untrackable to me but i realized that like on the main uh gem site i forget rubygems.org or whatever um it'll actually tell you how many people have downloaded total and how many people have downloaded the current version and it turns out i have like half a million whoa gem downloads i know wow (laughs) i know it was crazy i know i mean there are blogs out there that get that many
2: hits in a day. Oh, yeah. That's but for different. me,
1: that's that's kind of a big deal. That's so. a lot.
2: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. So my pick is Fathom Analytics. Um, I, If you are looking into increasing user privacy and you care about things like that, uh, Fathom, it's like, I think I pay $140 a year for it so i don't remember what the monthly cost is and i'm not going to do the math in my head um but it's not free google analytics is free but you're selling your users
2: data. you're selling yeah exactly and yeah and
1: that wasn't that wasn't a compromise
2: i wanted to make um just a quick thing i downloaded nv alt for fun i'm one of those people about two weeks ago um, yeah. so i'm on you i'm on your list there uh and after you know, many years, and also becoming an Envy Ultra user. Um, but I was man, I was Envy Alt. Ooh, I was like, oh, I, I'm going to try this out. I walked in. It was like, it was like your childhood home, but like <laughs> nothing's changed. The furniture hasn't changed. It's just everything's a little dusty and and smaller than you thought. Uh, yeah, that's like how it felt. It's like it was an amazing experience. Anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Envy Ultra is different enough from Envy Alt that. I've given up on going back to NVALT. I haven't run NVAlt for probably over a year. Um, just because there are things about NV Ultra that or there are things about NVALT that NV Ultra is missing and I find it frustrating, but I don't have the power to change. Encrypted notes. Sure. Uh, <laughs> s- simple note integration, which has recently yes. um, as one user put it, it has been in shitified. <laughs> um
2: I just looked at Simple Note yesterday because I, I I'm clean installing. I'm like, let's look at everything, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so like NV Ultra, like you can sync with iCloud or Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever sync system makes sense yep. for you. Yep. Um and honestly for me, uh syncing with iCloud and then tying one writer on my phone into uh, the one same- writer on the phone.
2: Yeah, so into good. the
1: same box. Like we have a version of NV Ultra for iOS, but one writer is always going to be better than what we put out. Like we mm. want to complete the ecosystem, but one writer is such a great app. But it goes the
2: I, other way, where like one writer on the Mac is not. No, it's yeah. not good. But, but on the, iOS, it's amazing. But the two work together. So yeah. Well, you just have your together. folder of notes. Put it wherever yeah. you want. That, um,
1: is, that is portability, man. That's the beauty of it all.
2: It's great for someone like me who gets impatient and tries a million like notes apps. Is it's always just off the same folder, and so there's no no problem, no pain.
1: Honestly, if 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 notes app on Mac, which has come a long. Way, oh man, has it a... is a fantastic app these days. So good. If it could work with individual text files, amazing. I would be sold.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Tim Cook is still listening. <laughs> uh, so. Timmy Boy, T-Dog, T-Bone. All right. Well, that was that was good. I ah, I love a good nerdy overtired. We miss Christina,
1: but yeah, we we didn't have any pop culture this episode.
2: That's true. We're the pop culture. I feel poppy. Poppy, super poppy, poppy. Hey, Jeff, mm. get some sleep. Yeah, but not till later. <laughs> Fair get enough. Get some sleep. <laughs> the
0: system is going down low. Hey, everybody. It's Christina here. And I'm not on the show this week because I'm on a train to Portland to get a new laptop. Uh, More details on that later. But I could not let things go without talking about um our our sponsor of this week's show notion and their new uh q a feature so if you're anything like me you might already be familiar with notion which is the sponsor of today's episode as i said i use this all the time for for notes for documents i have internal wikis of various things that i collect and i really love the interface and i really love how easy it is um to um create docs but but now I also like how easy it is to find things because of a new AI tool they've launched called Q&A. So this is basically a personal assistant that responds really fast with exactly what you need right in your doc. So here's a real world example from me. I have a Notion doc filled with links and information about various discounts that I get as a corporate employee. This is kind of a difficult document to um, like suss through because it's actually the combination of like five different documents that I've sourced from a bunch of different places. So it's not super well organized. Well, this is why this was perfect to use Q&A with because I can just ask uh, Notion's Q&A assistant. I can say, okay, show me um, my discount code or my discount URL for Avis and it will give it to me, and I don't have to go searching for, okay, was it in the transportation section, or is it in the car rental section, or is it in some other discount section? It'll just give me the information when I ask the question. And this is the sort of thing that it can do for, for anybody. It doesn't just have to be, you know, your weird, you know, link collections and, and, and documents. It can also, you know, um, use, use your own personal notes, your docs, your projects. All that is going to be together in one beautiful space, and then you can navigate that space, using Q&A um, to, you know, ask questions maybe about like next month's like, roadmap uh, that you're doing for next quarter or next month or, you know, a marketing campaign proposal that you're looking for. Um, or, you know, like I said, like what I'm doing all the time, digging up long lost links because that's a problem that I personally have and that uh, the notion definitely can help, can help me out with. So... If you haven't used Notion, um, I think that you should definitely give it a shot and Notion AI can now give you instant answers to your questions using information from across your wiki, your project docs, your meeting notes, etc. So you can try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com overtired. That's all lowercase letters notion.com slash overtired to try the powerful, easy to use Notion AI today. And when you're going to use our link, you are supporting our show. So once again, that is notion.com slash overtired. Try out the Q&A feature. Try out the Notion AI stuff. It's really slick. I'm a big fan. Thanks a lot, Notion.